This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by the idea of stubbing your toe and bending your toenail. Can you feel it? You forgot something in the kitchen, but all the lights are out. You hit your toe on the stool. Can you feel it? Stubbing your toe and bending your toenail, one of the least pleasant things you can do without incurring significant damage. Now on with the show. That was pretty good, but I really slowed the incurring. The palm of my left hand is so dry right now. It's like unpleasant. Is there it's giving me that like cotton ball feeling that gives you the heebie-jeebies? Do you know what I'm saying? What is? You're gonna get us a copyright strike. People joke about that so much. What are, they gonna, what are they going to do? Demonetize us? We don't make any money anyways. Sure, right. Wink, wink. If they ban us from YouTube, we'll just go to Vimeo. They can't stop us. How, how are you? My neck and shoulders hurt a great deal. That's, uh, it's I've, unreasonable the amount you seem to do things like that. Well, I do an unreasonable amount of physical labor every day, Jason. I know, but like, I feel like lots of people do physical labor without being like having inflamed muscles all the time like who every Monday night ever that's uh not re- that's not really a valid comparison me and a Mennonite you have the blood in your veins no I don't so <laughs> let's just scratch this and start again wow we're two like... minutes in but <laughs> we've ground to a halt this is a complete disaster already this is excellent okay uh Hello. Hello. This is going to be a bit of a different episode for us, but I'm kind of excited. Um, just, diff- just different in, <laughs> just <divot. laughs> in the way that we've prepared for it. Um, so today, I'll tell I you what we're... Not at all. Shh. I'll tell hey, you what hey, we're hey, talking hey. about. No, no. It's not the part of the show where you tell people what we're talking about, Jason. <laughs> We, you, have you ever done this We've been doing before? this for over a year with the same show format. And you still have and no I still idea have no what idea. you're doing. It's time for the theme music. It's the good ship, brother ship. One, two, three. The setup for this theme song to take place is really just so elaborate when you think about it. Okay, I'm absolutely serious about this. If there's anyone out there who's listening to this and who cares, message us on Facebook and tell us whether we should keep this theme music or find new theme music. We've only used this theme music for literally every episode, and it's quite terrible. Which was the idea, but... I just remember the first time we played it, like, not on the podcast, and we just peed our pants laughing. Well, because the worst thing I've ever heard. Which, obviously, then makes it fit this, uh... Big finish. Come on, guys. Yeah. Oh, boy. You're aboard the Good Ship Brothership. What is it? I know what it is. It's the only arts podcast that covers film, Film, music, music, gaming, gaming, literature, and... and Mounds of tobacco ripening in the sun uh, in Mexico. I'm Grant, and this is my brother Jason. Actually, there are lots of tobacco fields around here. Uh, I once had conversations with Dustin. Jason, what are we talking about today on the podcast? The school board out here on Heights. Please inform the listener as to what we're talking about and on the podcast. He worked at a tobacco plantation, and we were reviewing the, the and tobacco plant. And he said, plant. as a student, no, I'm not making this science up. Science fact. He said science you would fiction. make a ton of money working at a tobacco uh, 
plantation for like a summer, not as. I'm not Is tobacco that. the new kale? <laughs> there have been rising reports of health benefits from tobacco. <laughs> Today, we are talking about two very interesting things. We are talking about Mad Max Fury Road with specific emphasis on the recent black and white or black and not chrome really edition. Not really recent, but... Um, okay, more recent, recent than the enough. movie. Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about the movie as a whole, but we're going to focus on the black and white edition a little bit more so. And then we are also talking about the video game Horizon Zero Dawn. Which came out um, February 2017. And this is kind of like the stupidest time we could talk about this. (laughs) Because, well, in February the game came out. It had great critical reception. Then I think, I could be wrong on this, I think around May or June the DLC, The Frozen Wilds, came out which we have not played. Downloadable content. It's like an expansion um, pack. There was lots of chatter about the game then. And then again know. in December and early January, there was lots of talk about it because it was many outlets, game of the year or you know runner-up. Um, and now here we are talking about it like either a month or a year but, later. But let's be honest. We're always a little bit behind the curve. And that's it's kind true. of what we do. Because you know what? I think most people are a little bit behind the curve in that sort of yeah. regard. And honestly, I am really excited because I would say maybe next to music, I guess. I probably spend the most time playing games out of the four things we review. I, okay, I was going to say sadly. It's not sad. I'm not sad about it. I definitely spend more time playing games than reading books and almost certainly more time playing games than films. But we don't get to talk about them very often because there are a lot of games we play that don't really fit the vibe of the show or whatever. Um, but I think we can have some interesting discussions around this game because there's a lot of ground to cover. So. All right, and with that, we will flip the puppet if I can find it. It's right up there, yeah. Face up, we'll, we'll face down, will be Mad Max because there are a lot of people who are face down in that yeah, movie. Yeah, a lot of people end up face down. Oh, Mad Max. Fury Road Black and Chrome Edition. Let me pull up the Wikipedia page here without dislocating my shoulder. That's not it. I almost started reading that one. Mad Max Fury Road is a 2015 action film co-written, co-produced, and directed by George Miller. Miller collaborated with Brendan McCarthy and Nico Lathorius on the screenplay. The fourth installment and a reboot, it's not really a reboot, of the Mad Max franchise. It is a joint Australian-American venture produced by Kennedy Miller-Mitchell Rat Pack, Dune Entertainment, and Village Roadshow Pictures. The film is set in a post-apocalyptic desert wasteland where gasoline and water are scarce commodities, even though they drive trucks throughout the whole movie. <laughs> it follows Matt Rockatansky? What are you saying? Matt Rockatansky? <laughs> Matt? Okay, you it's go Max Rock... Rockatansky. Rockatansky? 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 I'm going to look up pronunciation. You keep reading the page. <laughs> It follows Max, who joins forces with Imperator Furiosa, played by Charlize Theron. Max is played by everybody's favorite actor, Tom Hardy. And, and I ship that show. so much. Uh, they join forces to flee from cult leader Immortan Joe, played by Hugh uh, what was that? Keys Byrne and oh, his man. army in an armored tanker truck, which leads to a lengthy road battle. The film also features... Hang on. Rockatansky. Well. Rockatansky. Okay. It's Max. Rockatansky. Okay, Rockatansky. 
The film also features Nicholas Holt, Rosie Huntington Whiteley, Riley Kiao, Kiao, uh, Zoe Kravitz, Abby Lee, and Courtney Eaton. Fury Road was in development for many years, with pre-production starting as early as 1997. Wow. Really? Attempts were made to shoot the film in 2001 and 2003, but were delayed due to September 11 tax and the Iraq War. Tom Hardy also wasn't old enough yeah. at that point. In 2007, after focusing on Happy Feet... <laughs> really? I never knew that. Forgot about that. <laughs> he made Happy Feet? It, instead of Mad Max Fury Road, he decided to make Happy Feet. Can you imagine how that different our lives would be a... if he had made Happy Feet 2 instead of Fury Road? <laughs> Happy Feet Fury Road. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, he briefly considered producing it as a computer-animated film, but abandoned it in favor of live action. Literally went the exact opposite route. That's very interesting. In 2009, Miller announced that filming would begin in early 2011. Hardy was cast as Max in June 2010, with production planned to begin that November. Principal photography was delayed several more times before beginning in July 2012. The film wrapped in December 2012, although additional film footage was shot in November 2013 which is interesting because the theatrical release was may of 2015 so that's like a two and a half year gap between when most of the footage was shot not counting the filler and the release which is i believe quite a bit longer than it is usual it has grossed over 378 million dollars worldwide making it the highest grossing film in the mad max franchise franchise the film was ranked by many critics as the best film of 2015 and is considered one of the greatest action films ever made. Acclaim went to its direction, screenplay, action sequences, and ensemble cast. Fury Road won multiple critical and guild awards and received 10 Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture and Best Director for George Miller. It won six. Costume design, production design, makeup and hairstyling, film editing, sound editing, and sound mixing and uh let's just see if we can pull up a little bit of info on the black and chrome i don't know if they are gonna have any really i watched the uh like word there's a word from george miller before um the film starts when you choose the black and chrome and it's interesting what he had to say about it um and it'll be interesting to hear what we have to say about it george miller the producer and visionary kind of thing behind it said that he felt that it added and enhanced certain elements that maybe weren't quite as apparent when the viewer was distracted by the color. He also said he thought that in some scenes there was information lost, was I think how he put it. But he said that overall, the black and white version of Mad Max is his preferred way to watch the movie, which I thought was super interesting, especially because the original cut hung its hat on these vivid, punchy colors so much. Yeah, any luck? No, I can't really find anything about the black and chrome edition on the... Should we make something up? Uh, It was shot in black and white because George Miller is addicted to... No. So initially how it came to be... I just want to tell this because I just saw this and I thought it was interesting. Is George Miller was uh, in in the throes of production for one of the previous Mad Max films. I think this was in the late 80s. Warrior, maybe. Um... And back in the day, I believe it was the people who scored the movie would watch these pre-production slices of the movie, which were in black and white for reasons that aren't really really clear to me. Um, And George Miller saw these cuts, saw part of this movie, which was supposed to be in color, in black and white, 
and he was just like astounded by how cool it looked. Um, like he said, when when you have a black and white film, there's an additional layer of separation from reality, and it becomes that much more surreal. Um, and so then, when Mad Max was being edited, George asked the editors if he could see select chunks of the film in black and white, just kind of to satisfy his own curiosity. Um, and it worked so well, and he was so amazed that he decided that they should cut the whole thing in black and white. And I mean, I don't know about you, and I would like to hear your thoughts, but I think it was a fabulous decision. Uh, I'd like to read a bit of uh, this. Colin Gibson, the production designer, said that they developed an internally consistent history to explain the film's look and justify its use of hot rods. Gibson designed the film's vehicles, all of which are fully functional. Construction of some of the vehicles began as early as 2003. The cars were designed to show characterization and detail in the world, including the characters' feelings of guilt, loss, and their attempts to recycle... That should be guilt and loss, and their attempts to recycle the remains of civilization, I think. Both the Doof Wagon, which is the the uh, large truck with all the speakers on it, the mm-hmm. amplifiers and whatnot, and the Doof Warriors guitar are fully functional. None of the Doof Warriors scenes were reg- rendered oh, in CGI, which is quite cool. Cinematographer John Seal came out of retirement to shoot Fury Road. He replaced Dean Selmer, the cinematographer of the two previous films, after Selmer left. Uh... And that didn't. That apparently isn't as interesting as I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, my experience coming to Mad Max Fury Road was an interesting one. I I discovered it, uh, I believe, last year. So well behind the curve. It didn't really interest me when it first came out. I don't really know why. Well, I think if you just heard about it, if you didn't see it. Well, but but one heard I heard reviews and that sort of thing of people I suppose. praising it up and down for its amazing action. I think part of it was the barrier to entry of the uh, of the previous films because there are three previous films. Three, I believe. yeah. And, and so, to be clear, neither of us still have watched any of the previous films. Yeah. Um, but I figured, oh well, maybe that'll be something to watch after I finally catch up on the other ones. Etc. Etc. But when I finally saw the uh, Fury Road for the first time, I w- was struck immediately by the colors that were used. Oh yeah, and the the colors almost tell tell you as much about the film as the score does. Albeit maybe in a juxtaposition, the colors are exceptionally vivid. Like heightened, brightened, and uh, surreal for sure. More, more lush than they would. Uh, blue skies are more blue, bluer. They're deeper, richer. The uh, sands are uh, a hot gold color. Uh, you know, all these things kind of juxtapose what we see normally in post-apocalyptic films, where everything is gray or brown or burnt. You know, and it gives this giddy kind of liveliness to the to the film that that I just found so unspeakably refreshing upon first watching it. And the very simple story, the first half of it is um, is a chase 
and the second half is a race. Uh, it was just it was such a refreshing thing for me to see something with a concept that simple succeeding in such a big way, and uh, and playing all of its cards right, t- telling a small story, but with such gusto and such um, grit and spit that I was just transfixed, and it still remains one of one of the most solid viewing experiences I've ever had. So going into the black and chrome edition, I was very curious as to how how the film would hang together almost structurally or tonally because like I said, the um the color was such a foundational part of the the world being as alive and as vicious as mm-hmm. it felt. Um, I personally thought that the it, here I threw the I threw the black and chrome edition on. Uh, also, I like that black and chrome. It's kind of a cute name for it. Uh, I threw it on kind of out of curiosity after having purchased it, of course, but not before. Uh, well, what I'm saying is, I bought it. It was laying around for a bit. I kept meaning to get around to watching it. And then one evening I just kind of went, eh, it just happened. You know, I'll just, I guess I'll just throw this on. There's nothing else I've got to do. You know, my hair was in my curlers and, you know, I finished reading the newspaper. And, uh, thank you. I, I've, I had already seen the movie. I've probably seen it now like a dozen times. Yeah. And I threw it on and I just got sucked right back in. And at first I was sucked in the experience of seeing the film in black and white which was not jarring but strange because you're surprising going, you're in going a weird way. <laughs> oh that was yellow you know yeah oh so that's really you know brown or etc etc but as soon as kind of the the story got rolling if you'll pardon the pun hmm. i completely forgot that i was watching it in black and white I mean, I clued, I mean, when I say I forgot, I didn't really forget, but I didn't yeah, no, take I notice. The whole, oh, you know, I really missed that sky, etc., etc., that all left, and instead I found myself focusing more on the performances, on the movements of the actors, on their facial expressions, you know, the way shots were composed the stunts the movements of the vehicles the billowing dust things that were splashes of color became like line drawings and you really you really ingest and see things differently i think when when you're looking at something in black and white as opposed to color your brain just ingests it differently and I thought it was a very interesting experience my one critique of it I think would be uh, during a nighttime sequence things get very blue yeah very blue and I found it quite jarring especially because it switches back and forth like uh, there's a hard cut from night to day and I found that kind of a jarring 
uh, transition from this very, very cool blue mono, mono, monotone? No, not monotone. Monochrome. Mono, monochrome. It's all monochrome, but yeah, it's like I very know. cool. I just couldn't think of yeah. that. Yeah. A very cool blue monochrome to this kind of... Hot in a strange white. way, hot. Yeah, a hot. It's very brilliant. Monochrome. It's not. It's not hot in the color balance sense, but in terms of like, very, like the highs are very much pushed out, like mm-hmm. to the highest. And and uh, and maybe to a certain degree, while I was watching it, while you're watching the color version, you're like, wow, I can feel my my skin crisping from from the sunshine in this movie. Everything looks so incredibly hot and dry and deserty in the color version. I'm saying in the black and white version, I didn't find that as much. Of course, that's to be expected. It's black and white. It's strange the things that you notice when it is in black and white. And I'll get more into this in my review. But I just wanted to briefly cut you off to say this. Um, I noticed this is just kind of for free because I always thought too when it was in color. I was like, wow, it looks so hot, desert hot, desert. It's hot, you know, desert. Wow, you're so succinct. But in the black and white version, I noticed that you don't see anyone who's ever sweaty. That's all. Hmm, that's I was interesting. Like, I was like, so I wonder if it's hot, because some of them have a fair degree of clothing on as well, in terms of layers, and you never see anyone with like a glistening forehead. I know for a fact that uh, the environments in which they were shooting were oftentimes actually cold. Yeah. Which is quite interesting when you do watch the movie, because it looks hot. Yeah. You know? But that's true. That's that's uh, that's definitely not something I noticed, but... A lot of it was in Nambia, is where a lot of the filming was. Ah. Filming also took place at Potts Hill and Penrith Lakes in Western Sydney, Australia. Of course. There you go. I, I can't remember what I was about to say. I derailed you. It's okay. completely... Completely gone. Is it Go your, ahead with your review. Yeah? I guess. Is I it know. your preferred viewing experience? Is it supplementary? Is it primary? I think, it's de- I think it's definitely definitely supplementary. I think it's given me a richer understanding of the film. Yeah. And for that, you know, I'm happy that it exists. Do Is it my preferred viewing experience? Probably not. I think so much... So much can be gleaned from the color yeah. of the uh, original release that the the profound the most profound moments that the black and white version delivers are due to its distinct use of not color. You know? George Miller is talking about how um, how black and white makes things more cinematic. Uh, film reviewer Mark Kermode, who I listen to has said how black and white is cinema's cinema's native tongue because it is uh, completely artificial in terms of the aesthetic of it, and therefore it creates more of a an alienation device between the film and the and the viewer. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, true on a psychological level, but I mean, it, is that really? Does that really affect your viewing experience uh, in any way? I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm very glad that I bought it. I'm glad that I've seen it. Mm. And if you really like Mad Max Fury Road, I suspect you will be very intrigued and you will enjoy the black and white edition. 
<sighs> Big yawn. Okay, everybody. This... So I'm I'm gonna do something. Go ahead. I was gonna say this would be a good time to uh, shout out Tori if Tori is listening. She's gotten this far. She, if she, yeah, that's very true. Should have done that at the beginning. <laughs> I know we should have. Then she would have kept listening. You like if you listen for, for another sure. half an hour, we'll give you another shout out. <laughs> yeah. I gotta get those l- listens. Little breadcrumb sister. Wow, yeah. you've got a vein <laughs> popping on your forehead just from saying that. Um, well, if the analytics don't spike, I'm gonna. Drop no, the mic. Hello, Tori. If you if you are listening, I'm so sorry. She's probably doing laundry or or something, and we're like we're probably in the living room, and she's in the kitchen or something. Like I that. would hope she's... that she would give us our her undivided attention. Who whoever gives a podcast their undivided attention? Not me. No, me. That's neither. not what they're for. But when have I? We we are a peaceful yeah. burbling stream. For which to accompany your dishwashing, your laundry folding, your commute, your childbirth. I was, when you said we were a burbling stream, I was very close to taking some tea and then going like, like gargling it. Like burbling it? Yeah. Please don't. Okay. So for my review, I just decide right now, I'm going to start at my conclusion and work my way backwards because I feel like I can explain myself better that way. The thing with Mad Max Fury Road no matter what format you watch it in, Uh-oh. is when you finish it, you just want to watch it again, like every time. And that's why I haven't watched it as many times as you have, but I've watched it at least five times at this point, which is quite a lot for me, because normally I, you know, you watch a movie once or twice and you're kind of done. And after finishing it in black and chrome, I turned to Caleb, my buddy who I watched it with, um, and I was like, now I want to go back and watch it in color so that I can apply what I've learned from this version. Yeah. So what I found is, first of all, I think that color is and will always remain the best part of Fury Road. I think it's very well shot. Obviously, the action is phenomenal. The acting is good. The dialogue is, excuse me, the dialogue rides this fine line between like, campy and authentic that's just really entertaining really accessible um there's a ton of depth in the movie there are things that i was noticing um watching this for the first time sorry there are things i noticed watching this for like the fifth time that i've never noticed before like just little things like there's one character called the bullet farmer and i never noticed that his teeth are bullets Mm -hmm. like that's so cool and it's the kind of movie where i truly believe that if i watch it another five times i'll still be noticing new things so that said, the color is its calling card. When you strip that away, what do you have left? I noticed that I paid way more attention to the lighting, especially. And I gained a new appreciating for appreciation for you the lighting. A new appreciating. You don't have to stop every time I do this. We all know I'm stupid. Can we just get over it? <laughs> I didn't stop. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I started. So especially in the intro sequence when he's escaping or trying to escape this like prison and you see like the light shafts coming down through the grate. These are things I didn't notice nearly as much before. But when you strip away the color, really light is the only thing that remains in terms of like the aesthetic of something. I'm not talking about like the framing or anything like that. Light is the basis of an image. Yeah. And a lot of times, color kind of distracts from that. So I thought it was really nice to have this new viewing experience. And I feel like when I go back to the regular experience, I'll be more aware of the lighting, which is superb. Now, one thing I think I disagree with you on is the use of different temperatures. 
So like you noted, there's that nighttime scene that's very blue. There's also a flashback sequence about three quarters of the way through the film that's like quite sapia, maybe not Instagram filter sapia, but noticeably warm. But what is? Yeah, it, it would be like 7,000 degrees Kelvin for all you photography nerds. <laughs> um, but I really like that. I felt like... In the color version, the transition from night to day in that scene that we were talking about is very jarring, and I feel like that would have been decreased a lot had they not used that blue sort of look, it's and I think jar- it totally fit. It's jarring, though, because you're going from darkness to lightness. Darkness to lightness? The, the It's the, the color. <laughs> you go from cool blue sands to blazing golden sands, and you just can't affect that change you can't affect that effect i suppose i think it has a similar like wow factor if lessened um where do i want to go from here this episode i made no notes so i'm trying to really like order my brain i would definitely say that this is not my favorite viewing experience at all just because as i've already said like twice I think that color is absolutely the strongest aspect of Fury Road, which is really saying something. Um, But stripping it away was really educational because it let me look at like the sets more. I think I paid more attention to that. I paid more attention to the characters. Um, I'll let you talk in one second. (laughs) But one thing I noticed that I thought was interesting, and it was probably just my interpretation, is in black and white, the characters are divided in appearance kind of based on... I'll say their profession or their role. So you notice that like Max and Furiosa have these very dirty faces, which you can see in the color version, but in the black and white, it comes off as this black grittiness. And then you see the, the wives are this pure, like light gray or whatever, um, medium white. And then you see the, uh, what are the bad guys called? The war boys. Yeah. The war boys are like this extreme white, and I just thought it was kind of cool that there's this visual separation that I didn't notice as much when it was in color. I'd say it's definitely not the way that you should watch the movie if you're just going to watch it, like, the one time. No, not at all. Um, I had some point I was going to make about the color, but I held it in my mind for too long. My my mind, it, it's uh, like... Honestly, it, I would say you held it in your mind not long enough. It's like quarter after midnight here, ladies and germs, and... You know, we were both... Still gonna send it. Yeah. But yeah, that, those are all my thoughts. I really enjoyed it. If you're a fan of the movies, or if you're... Even if you're just interested in um, the differences in terms of viewing experience between black yeah, and white it's, and color, it's... I keep coming back to educational, but I really think it was a super uh, revealing experience. And the viewing experience was more different than I thought it would be, honestly. Yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn. Ooh. It's a video game that came out a while ago, and due to the fact that AAA video games cost, you know, near $100 to purchase, we always wait until they're much less than that to purchase them, because why not? Horizon Zero Dawn is an action role-playing video game developed by Guerrilla Games and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Sony Interactive Entertainment. S-I-E. The plot revolves around Aloy, a hunter living in a post-apocalyptic world. It's really post-post-apocalyptic. 
Uh, overrun by hostile robots, where the remains of humanity have regrouped into tribal factions. Having been an outcast from her tribe her whole life, Aloy sets out to discover the reasons why. That's kind of nebulous. The game features an open-world environment for Aloy to explore while undertaking side and main story quests. The player uses a spear, ranged weapons, and stealth tactics to combat the mechanized creatures called machines, <laughs> whose remains can be looted for resources. A skill tree provides the player with new abilities and passive bonuses. It was released for the PlayStation 4 in early 2017. So, it's it's kind of the new benchmark, would you say, for the current PlayStation, the PlayStation 4, in terms of visual uh, fidelity. It and Uncharted 4 are the two, I would say, okay. to beat moving forward. Um, in terms of visuals, certainly. So, so you know, just for those who might be listening who aren't, you know, kind of in on the video game industry, the game was a pretty big deal when it came out. Uh, it's a new franchise, which, like in film, you don't see as much as maybe you should. And it was an interesting-looking franchise from the get-go, and that meant a lot of people were very excited for it and uh when it released it the it looks beautiful it runs quite smoothly and response has been overwhelmingly positive with many people calling it the best game of last year yeah and it's really interesting because the uh studio previously had only made for like the last 15 years these first-person shooters that were a lot of people called like PlayStation's Call of Duty in a sort of derisive fashion because they always played second fiddle. You know, they were very impressive technically and they played fine, the Killzone games. But at the end of the day, they were kind of these empty vessels for like, you know, a bit of fun with the boys. There wasn't a lot of heart and soul in them. Mm -hmm. But Guerrilla Games had a lot of talent and for this game, they really beefed up. I don't know if you know, they got the writer from Fallout New Vegas which was a very popular uh, open-world role-playing game. Clearly that did them no good, as we'll discuss later. Um, but it was... You can't, you can't just go spoiling I can. the opinions like that. Um, you can't. And then just did. But at the end of the day, um, there is no doubt that Gorilla produced something really remarkable, but it's not without really glaring faults. Um, and I think that the polish of the game visually is not necessarily equaled in other areas does that make sense yeah it's not as polished in other areas. i mean yeah now it should also be noted one of the things i love about games and one of the things that makes them difficult to review is that we with games you have really drastically different experiences depending on the player unlike a film like like literal different experiences yeah. You play through the game in different ways with an open world game where you can roam anywhere at any time and do things in a completely different order. Um, you will literally just have a completely different experience. And that makes them fun to talk about and also kind of annoying to talk about. Because with Mad Max, we can talk about what did you think of this part? What did I think of this part? But you might have seen something or I might have seen something that the other person hasn't even seen. Yeah. Um, so our reviews are going to have to be a little bit more segmented. But I guess. we are not going to talk yeah. about story. We're going to leave that pretty much out of the uh, equation in terms of plot and spoilers and that sort of right. thing. Just in case we got anybody listening who 
gives a hoot about Horizon and actually hasn't played it yet. It's true. Um, so I guess my gameplay experience, I was very thorough. I would say my game clock was a little bit broken. I would say I put roughly 40 hours into the game or more, which is a lot. It took me like a month and a half, and that was like unusually large amounts of gameplay for a month and a half. Um, and that resulted in me getting the platinum, which for people who don't play games basically means that I I saw everything the game had to offer. Um, Grant, on the other hand, had a different but probably more average experience where he's at like the last mission. You pulled a Colin Moriarty on us. He hasn't finished the game, but he's played 98% Sorry. of the story. And he has put, I don't know, you've probably put like 30 hours into the game. He's seen and done a lot but not everything, and so it'll be interesting to have uh, the opinions of me, this meticulous nerd, and you, I would say, representing a way more usual avenue of play. Mm -hmm. So, what did you think? This is, it's a really difficult thing to review, because a game of this fashion is kind of broken into two completely different, different parts that that the developers try to marry together <clears throat> and those two pieces would be the story the main quest line and the actual tactile gameplay the interface how you move through the game how you level up gather resources encounter enemies etc etc and in one of these areas, Horizon is very rock solid. Extremely the, good. The gameplay and just the tech, technological, technological? Technical? technical, the technical side of the game as it relates to how it was constructed and how it's designed, the architecture of it is really, really beautifully and masterfully done. The I remarked many times to you while I was playing it, while we would be chatting together, how real the terrain feels, which is a strange thing to say, but you know when you're playing a game, and pretty much everybody I think can relate to this, <clears throat> especially if you played video games a couple years ago uh, as a kid or whatnot, and the terrain, the rocky terrain or whatever in your in your video game never really seems real. It all felt right? very contrived. It, it's very contrived. It feels like they're trying to funnel you through the level in a certain way. Uh, you know, the rocks are strangely have formed into right angles everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, they've, they form this trough for you to walk through and... Horizon has almost none of that. The way the hills roll, the random jagged outcroppings of rock, the uh, like thickets, the patches of long grass, the way the creeks and the rivers flow, just the appearance of the mountains all has an incredibly uh, realistic and natural aesthetic and feel to it that... I've been consistently amazed by. There's almost no... It's pretty much seamless in terms of feeling artificial or or uh, contrived. And that is astounding. The, 
The game is very satisfying feeling to play. The weapon systems are fun for the most part. Uh, the the bow combat where you run and you can kind of slow down time and uh, kind of hone in on your targets a little bit more precisely is very fun and addicting and it feels great and you feel like you're... It responds the way you want to. You're in control. Yeah, yeah. it feels very fluid. The combat's very fluid. The melee combat with the spear leaves a little bit to be desired, perhaps. Yeah. You have a light attack and a heavy attack that takes much longer but deals far more damage. And, excuse me, and it does feel a little clunky and a little off, but the game really is supposed to be, the combat is supposed to be experienced with a bow and arrow. And for that, they kind of do a good job. There are many different side quests and errands for you to run on that can and will occupy huge amounts of your time, and none of them feel overly fetch questy. Where that terrible thing where you go up to a character and they say, Oh no, sir, please help me. My mother is very ill. She needs four white flowers. There were a couple of those, but not two. Oh yeah, but there's not, it's not to the point where I got so fed up with these side quests that I swore off them completely. Right. I never ignored a side quest because it was too annoying to do. Yeah. Uh, Now, to the part that doesn't work. And that would be the writing. The premise is rock solid, I think, in terms of the story. You've got these Stone Age or like Medieval Age human beings in these splintered off tribes and factions who are existing in this lush post-post-apocalyptic world populated by kind of animalistic robots that roam around. In addition to real animals. Yes. Very cool idea. Yeah. And as you go through the story, the beats of the story, the different plot points, are all quite intriguing. They're quite uh, unique and, in a lot of ways, quite satisfying. This is not the issue. The issue is in how these things are presented. And... The dialogue in this game is so cringy that at different times I've almost had to just stop and and pause the game and walk around the room for a little bit just to burn off steam. Yeah, yeah. And it would be one thing if there was kind of a hint of um, self-awareness, kind of a self-awareness, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, we're being a little campy and high fantasy, like fake high fantasy, but there really isn't, you know, a lot of that. It's a lot of people going, by hammer and steel, and a lot of people go just saying, all mother be praised, and it just feels so fake and so, so very, very pedestrian and derivative and unimaginative and... Just like a real cheap shot at trying to make these concepts stick. Oh, so we wanna we want to establish the concept that these people worship a goddess that they call All Mother. Well, we're gonna have literally every NPC that you encounter in this area say All Mother this and All Mother that if All Mother wills it. Ha ha ha. Yeah, I mean, 
it's an overdone phrase, but it's true. No matter what medium, show don't tell is a good principle, right? And I think that with things like their religion, it would have been much more effective to have like these temples or little shrines scattered around instead of everyone shouting from every rooftop like like you said. Well, that would that is a form of show don't tell. Um, that that phrase is just one example, right? That I could, I guess. Bring out. And then the there's they another... force themes upon you so heavily. They do. It's the very ham fisted, and they think you're stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no subtlety in terms of the dialogue, uh, and it's just it's really sad. So I've got um, a couple snippets here. All of these, I think, uh, that I'm going to introduce to you on this page come from the same room where we're finding out a little bit about ancient humans ancient humans being us now modern day we are the ancient ones because of course they're post post apocalyptic so my mama loved her bible not just texas loving but like pentecostal loving her favorite chapter revelations and i hope I don't need to tell any of you that Revelations is not a chapter in the Bible. I feel like essentially everyone should know that that's a book. And I, just I mean, find it's it... commonly referred to as the book of Revelations. Yeah. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that there's nobody at the studio who knew that or... I, d- I just don't know how that... I mean, it's it's like a, one of those... Yeah. You could make the argument that maybe the character didn't know. I don't know. Uh, if his mother was that fervent of a, of a believer, you'd think that he'd know that Revelations was a book. Uh, and then this this excellent gem. What the what? I mean, it's just plum crazy, ain't it? And I've said before, what the what would be, you know, something a fifth grade girl would say, you know, around her mom when she couldn't swear. And uh, that's just plum crazy, ain't it? Has not been in common parlance since 1952. And somebody has just taken the two of those... And just put them in one sentence, just in order to say, hey, look at how kooky this character is, wowzers. It, the game just, on a fundamental level, suffers from the need to explain everything to you. And just a blunt force trauma. Look at the point, look at the point we're making, we're going to take you by the scruff of the neck and ram your nose into this. Look at it, look at what we're trying to tell you. And then it takes, it'll take you into rooms or sections where there are voice memos scattered everywhere. Five of them, maybe, maybe a few less. But And each of these will be maybe a minute long. Yeah. And you have to listen to somebody drone on and on about something exposition-related. But, ooh, you know, it's, it's underhanded exposition because it's a candid conversation the person's having. But it's so clear that they're just explaining the plot and making you stand there. And the, all the gameplay grinds to a halt. There's none of that excellent, fluid gameplay we were talking about. It's just you standing in a room, listening to a cheesy, terrible script that's explaining a bunch of stuff you really don't give a hoot about. So I ended up skipping loads of those uh expository bits just in favor of actually running around and shooting people in the head with arrows which is really mm. you know what the game is about and that's where its strengths are uh 
and I'm just, <laughs> I'm just so sad for what for what the game could have been if there was just a bit more heart and soul in in it and and the uh, yeah I I don't know I'm just so sad <laughs> because it could have been way better if these characters had just had a little bit more spark to them and they weren't so chained down by by this need to shove your face into what they want you to see. I feel yeah. like I'm not making a lot of sense right now. I understand what you're saying. But we were talking about the whole dialogue thing and I said it would be really an interesting an interesting juxtaposition if these characters and these people spoke with the same language we speak with today. Same vernacular. Same vernacular. Because they're in this fantasy setting. If they spoke, you know, as we do, that's just an interesting juxtaposition and it hints that Yes, they're post-post-apocalyptic. These people are not. But instead, they've reverted back in time to, you know, people saying, oh, yes, it shall be done. Sometimes, But then there's still these weird anecdotes. Like yeah. if Aloy's inventory is full, like you can't carry any more items, and you try and pick something up, she goes like, huh, should have brought a cart. I'm like, how do you even know what a cart is? Yeah, you've never been into a supermarket. You're a robot cave girl. So it's just, I think... I think fundamentally, on a storytelling level, Horizon just suffers from a lack of ability to trust the intelligence of the player and a lack of subtlety. Yeah. So, I mean, I completely recommend it as a gaming experience, but the story is... And the, the beats of the, the plot is good, but the writing is just just dog's dinner bad. Yeah, I mean... Also, one last thing. They give you a scanning function. Hate it. Never feels natural. Always feels like, oh, how do we get you out of this situation? Just scan. Yeah, I mean, I'll be uh, pretty brief because you weren't. No, it was okay. Um, I know. I I agree with a lot of what you said. I feel like there was a lot of promise in the story... We really both hold an unpopular opinion, which is not liking the story. Uh, a lot of people thought it was quite good. And I think compared to the average open world game, like, I don't know, Fallout 3, like, I think it's a bit better. I don't know. It's, it's, here's the thing. Horizon Zero Dawn is a phenomenal video game, like, very good. But I wanted it to be the kind of game that can move games as a whole forward by showing that, yes, you can have this super fun open world where you're shooting robot dinosaurs and their little robotic hearts, and at the same time, we can tell you a story that will interest people who aren't hardcore gamers. They didn't do that. And (laughs) it succeeds at being, like, doing... It does fantastically what other people have already done really well. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a little disappointing. Um... And like you said, they piggyback off a lot of these gamer trends like detective mode or uh, eagle vision in Assassin's Creed or like your focus um, where you just have this second sight sort of thing and then you're tracking footprints. And then it's like every time they don't know what to do. It's like, let's have you run for 500 meters and follow these footprints and then it'll lead you to something that could e- just as it's easily real, have been two you, steps away. Real padding. Um, which is weird because what does it add? 15 <laughs> minutes to a 50-hour game? I know, yeah. 
Um, so it's a little bit difficult to review on an arts podcast because I feel like I should be on a games podcast because what I really want to talk about is the mechanics and systems and the meat of the game, which are fantastic. I think... For the most part. For the most part. There are a few issues we had, like the in-game economy, like buying items, is absolutely screwed up. Like, yeah. <laughs> within a couple hours, I just had more money than I could ever hope to spend, and I had all the best weapons. And then halfway through the game, I had, like, 15 of the best upgrades you can have, and yeah, that's... Yeah. It's not ideal. The best quests, and a lot of the quests, really just got out of their own way and let you play the game and just basically directed you somewhere where you could continue to do what you had already been doing on your own. Um, Like the Hunter's Trials were really fun. Well, the thing that works so well with this game is it presents you with this incredibly natural terrain populated with enemies and you navigate around it in any number of different ways. Mm -hmm. And you're strategizing on the fly, coming up with backup plans... You're using stealth, you know, you're... And it, it just allows you to strategize so effectively, and that's so yeah. thrilling. I think the game also did a fabulous, like, a perfect job of balancing um, size and scope with, like, quality. So there's been a... Not even a recent trend in games. I think it was big five or six years ago where game developers would try and have the biggest world they could with the most stuff they could do. And this kind of culminated in The Witcher 3, which was released in uh, 2015, in May, I believe, which is regarded as one of the best games of the last 10 years. But if you want to do and see everything the game has to offer, you have to put in over 200 hours. It's insane, and there are a lot of games like that. And while that's all well and good, not everybody wants that. You know, I don't want to chase chickens for 50 hours. Well, actually, I kind of do, but you might not chase want to. Chase chickens? Yeah. That was just a, a Legend of Zelda Kakariko Village reference. Okay, that game's not big, but... <laughs> but at the same time, not everyone wants this perfectly linear, uncharted, like, eight-hour corridor experience, although that also is good. What Horizon does well is it gives you this fair-sized open world with quite a bit to do, and yet someone like myself or like you with a fairly limited amount of time to play games can still reasonably 100% it. And for completionists who like the feeling of having done everything, it's really nice to have a game where you can reach that without having to put in 100 hours kind of thing. So I think I would say um, if you own the console, because it's PlayStation 4 only, and you enjoy games... It's absolutely recommended, but you don't need us to tell you that because everybody else has already told you that. But for people, if anyone's still listening at this point who's not into games, and I can't can't imagine they are, (laughs) I really wouldn't recommend it because if you haven't gotten into games through any other, like, quote-unquote good game, this isn't going to do it for you. Like, play The Last of Us, play Three-Fourths Home, play, uh, what's that game called? About Sunsets. The Depression Game. Sunsets? The Depression Game. Oh, my word. I want to say the Sunset Limited. Now I've derailed this. Actual Sunlight. Yeah, there you go. Um, You know, play games like that to get into gaming. Don't don't start with this unless you really want to. So, yeah. Was it it one of the best games I've ever played? Like, say, Top 25? Yes. It was one of the best games I've ever played. But was it simultaneously fantastic and disappointing? Like, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I've never 
played such a good game that I was so disappointed it's by. Ve- it is very hot and cold. Yeah. 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 But, like you said, and I'll emphasize this and then skirt out, I feel like the story beats are really interesting. So if I give you the quick, let me give you a quick 30-second synopsis in my own words of what's going on, and you're going to be like, wow, this sounds cool. Well, don't don't spoil anything. Though. No, I said, like, in the open a little bit. Okay. Um, you're an outcast from your people, and you have to... Uh, you know what? I'm too tired for this. Screw it. Let's just end the podcast. <laughs> well, I'll say I'll say this. You're an outcast from your people. You're trying to you're trying to unravel a number number of mysteries, namely your origin and why are the robots all aggressive? What? Well, why are the robots becoming extremely aggressive towards humans? And also, you know, you're you're examining the religion that your People your serve. tribe kind of abide by and is is the religion um is it a true is it real is it a false religion or is it somewhere in between and those questions are all kind of interesting and that would be kind of the the yeah. prologue perhaps okay. the game seriously though we've jumped the shark Serious. and this is no i feel lo- i feel like i rambled a lot on this podcast this is no longer interesting <laughs> we should probably go yeah, we gotta quit while we're dragging our stomachs in the mud. I if, feel if yeah. you've made it this far into the podcast, send us a postcard with um, a picture of a man's left. Actually, foot. I will say this: if you've made it this far into the podcast, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel. I don't think it was. No, it wasn't bad. It wasn't deplorable. It no, wasn't our it wasn't. worst episode. It was like Led Zeppelin. Though. Was it our best? No. What was our best episode? We should do a Good Ship Brothership episode review. Our next one. That's probably not true. The next episode will be What are we talking about next time? That's a, such a good question, actually, Jason. Should because we hash that out real quick? I don't I don't know. want to talk about the book Thief yet. I'm not no, ready. Well, we can't. Okay. We haven't read it. No, I know. Uh, okay. So, I kind of feel, feel like doing... Like, we do albums and films all the time, but I mean, what well, do you that, want? We're not going to do a fucking game. The reason for that is... You know why. Do you want to talk about... No, we don't need to do two. Let's just do a book and an album. That's Or a, not a book and an album. A, a film, film and an album. album? Yeah. Why not? Um, also, we can just cut this. Because no one wants to hear this. <laughs> well, we can't really. What do you mean? Sure we can. Because we can't just run on and then just... Because oh. v- okay, we've just good, kept going. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> no, they're staying with us for now. <laughs> This isn't even interesting. I'm just looking at a list. Uh, let's do There Will Be Blood. Because I kind of wouldn't really mind No, it. we're not doing There Will Be Blood. Oh, shoot. That's, dude, let's okay. Do, okay, let's do Electric Mud. Because that'll be very interesting. I was going to say Sgt. Pepper. Electric that... Mud, uh, okay. the Fine. album by Muddy Waters, the famous blues artist. Okay, Electric Mud was when he did kind of a psychedelic blues excursion. Like a lot of the... The original blues musicians were doing maybe in the early 50s. And alongside Electric Mud, we're going to be talking about Citizen Kane. Let's just do Citizen Kane. Why don't Kane. we talk about Barton Fink? Oh, okay. Let's fine. Let's do Barton Fink. Barton, do Fink, Barton Fink. Barton Fink by the Coen Brothers, the film, and Electric Mud by Muddy Waters. Okay. Fantastic. I like Barton Fink. Right? That's what's coming up. That is a very eclectic blend, and I'm satisfied to, with it. I have to use the washroom so badly. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, 
It has been mostly a pleasure. I'm so tired right now, I'm almost hallucinating. It's 12.46. Yes. And we've been consistently staying up And too I late. have to be awake at 6.30. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Skirt.